0: This is West Virginia Morning. I'm Teresa Wills. Senate President Craig Blair gets excited when he talks about what he sees going on in West Virginia.
1: In my lifetime, I don't believe that we've ever experienced better economic opportunities, better growth, better opportunities for change.
0: That story and more coming up this West Virginia Morning. Support for West Virginia Morning is proudly provided by Luke Frazier. West Virginia teachers have become increasingly more likely to leave the profession. Chris Schultz has more.
2: The latest survey of West Virginia Education Association members was conducted to gauge their level of frustration. Dale Lee, president of the WVEA, shared results of the survey Tuesday that showed low pay and a lack of respect for the profession are leading to higher stress and burnout in teachers. More than 70% of respondents were dissatisfied with their working conditions. In all instances, the dissatisfaction is overwhelming. Now keep in mind that the working conditions of our educators are the learning conditions of our students. Lee says he hopes to present the survey findings to both the Senate and House Education Committees and work with them on solutions. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Chris Schultz in Morgantown.
0: Teachers may be able to teach intelligent design in public schools if a Senate education bill becomes law. Emily Rice has more. The Senate Education Committee heard Tuesday from two high schoolers in favor of Senate Bill 280, which would allow teachers in public schools to teach intelligent design. Hayden Hodge is a junior at Hurricane High School. He testified before senators that intelligent design is an evidence-based theory about life's origins.
2: I'm not asking for this to be required. I'm asking for it to be permissible. Why not allow teachers to offer students multiple views? Students deserve to hear a multitude of theories and then follow which is more reasonable, life from blind natural processes or life from a designer.
0: All committee members voted in favor of reporting the committee substitute for Senate Bill 280 to the full Senate floor with the recommendation that it should pass. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Emily Rice in Charleston. The Allegheny Front, based in Pittsburgh, is a public radio program that reports on environmental issues in the region. Here's their latest story about rules for hydrogen hubs in
3: Pennsylvania and West Virginia. With new rules, the Biden administration hopes to make hydrogen production as clean as possible. This is the Allegheny Front Environment Update. I'm Carol Holsopel. Depending on how it's made, hydrogen can be a zero carbon energy source, reducing the climate warming emissions of sectors that are hard to electrify, like heavy industry and long haul shipping. That's why the Biden administration recently came out with new rules on the tax credits meant to incentivize making clean hydrogen. The Allegheny Front's Reed Fraser is here to explain. Reed, why did the Biden administration put out these hydrogen rules in late December?
2: Well, the U.S. and other countries are trying to kickstart a clean hydrogen economy. Part one of the Biden administration's hydrogen rollout was tucked into the bipartisan infrastructure law. It doled out $7 billion to create hydrogen hubs around the country. Two of those will include operations in Pennsylvania, one in West Virginia, extending into western Pennsylvania, centered on using natural gas, and another in Philadelphia and surrounding states, In the eastern part, using wind, solar, nuclear, and more clean technologies. The second big piece of this rollout are potentially lucrative tax credits for companies to produce clean hydrogen that are included in the Inflation Reduction Act of 2022. Now, these are potentially hundreds of billions of dollars in subsidies that will go to clean hydrogen projects. But which projects qualify for these subsidies? That's what the U.S. Treasury set out to do when it wrote these proposed rules. Essentially, how clean do these projects have to be to qualify for the tax credits?
3: What are the main points or requirements?
2: A lot of the emphasis on these rules pertain to what is known as green hydrogen. That's when you make hydrogen by splitting water molecules but the key part in this is that you use only electricity from renewable resources like wind and solar. The administration was worried about companies building facilities that simply use the electricity that's already on the electric grid to power this operation and the grid is still powered mainly by dirty fossil fuels so they created rules specifying that these facilities have to be run on new renewable electricity. To get the highest level of subsidy, which would subsidize roughly 60 percent of the cost of green hydrogen, companies have to show that the electricity they use is tied to a new solar or wind project, that these facilities are relatively close to the solar or wind farms they're using for power, and that they're drawing power when those facilities are producing energy.
3: What about hydrogen made from natural gas?
2: Well, Treasury clarified how these projects will have to count their own emissions from gas leaks in the upstream process, that is, where they get their gas from, whether it be from fracking or elsewhere, in order to qualify for the subsidies. But the subsidies for blue hydrogen, that's what we call this process of getting hydrogen from natural gas and then burying the carbon emissions from it, they're not as large as those for green hydrogen.
3: How could the rules impact the two hydrogen hub projects that Pennsylvania is part of?
2: Well, that's a big question, and it's really hard to answer right now. Both U.S. Senator Bob Casey and Chris DeLuzio, a Western Pennsylvania congressman, have said they're concerned with these stricter rules and that it will limit the projects built in Pennsylvania with Pennsylvania labor. However, looser rules may, in fact, increase the use of natural gas and coal, which would therefore increase our carbon emissions. Thanks, Reed. Thank you.
3: Reed Fraser covers energy for the Allegheny Front. There's more on the energy transition at AlleghenyFront.org. That's the Allegheny Front Environment Updates. I'm Carol Holzapfel.
0: The Allegheny Front is based in Pittsburgh and reports on regional environmental news. This is West Virginia Morning. I'm Teresa Wills. It's 7.50. Wind chill warnings and advisories remain in effect this morning, becoming mostly sunny today, high temperatures in the 20s and low 30s, partly cloudy overnight with temperatures in the single digits and teens, mostly cloudy tomorrow, a slight chance of snow with highs in the 20s and 30s. Support for WVPB is provided by Good News Mountaineer Garage, a nonprofit organization accepting donated vehicles to help a West Virginian get on the path to economic independence. More at GoodNewsMountaineerGarage.com. For the legislature today, Eric Douglas spoke with Senate President Craig Blair, a Republican from Berkeley County, on issues important to him for this general legislative session. Here's an excerpt.
1: What are your expectations for the session? We're, what, five, six days in officially now. What are your expectations looking forward? The expectations are to keep the momentum going in the state of West Virginia in my lifetime, I don't believe that we've ever experienced better economic opportunities, better growth, better opportunities for change in the state of West Virginia to be able to propel us into the future. And uh, I'm proud of the work that we've done over the last eight years or 10 years, whatever it may be, and it's growing. Of uh, That's exciting, Uh, investing into the infrastructure, uh, investing in education, getting a drug-free, educated workforce that's ready to go to work, stay in West Virginia. And uh, people laugh at me when I say this, but if you keep our youth here, what happens is they have children, they have families. That's how you grow a state. That's how you grow an economic base that you can actually have further tax reductions and keep the momentum moving forward. You know, I'm... I'm old enough to remember we used to refer to the the uh, I-77 south headed to Charlotte as kind of the it was the hillbilly highway as we talked about. Everybody was growing up and leaving the state. What what can we do to? To keep people in the state it was our number one export for that matter uh, is our youth for gainful employment look I'm from the Eastern Panhandle, and everybody thinks that we're wealthy over there and uh, no know what it is is that there's a lot of people that's wanting to get out of the state of Maryland to get out of Washington DC in those markets and uh, West Virginia is very very attractive for that because our people are great and the people moving there are great but you gotta be able to have the jobs When I was growing up, there was GM, 3M, DuPont, Corning, the list went on, and they all left. Why? Because they were taxed out of the state. Then we turned into a bedroom community. You cannot have a tax base to be able to do that. And we were like a barometer for the rest of the state. We were hemorrhaging jobs out of the state. And when you lose the jobs and the upward mobility and the economic opportunities, people leave. Uh, the two most mobile things in our society is labor and capital, and we're attracting both now to the state of West Virginia. And that's how you keep your our youth here. You don't have to worry about school closings or roofing or teachers uh, or consolidations. What you worry about is, is the fact that you got more young people in the system and those children coming through. And you got a tax base. You're able to pay the teachers more, and the state employees more, school service personnel more. And we've been doing that over the last eight to ten years. Well, I'm proud of what we've sure. done. So, last year you passed a pretty pretty amazing tax cut for the for the state. I mean, amazing in the, in the scale of it. I guess is what I want to say. Um, what 780 million dollars, I think, was roughly. Has that worked out as you expected? I mean, I know it's only been a year, but has it has it, are you seeing the fruition of that? Yes, it'll work out. Uh, I'm not concerned by that. And I mean, by the way, I was the author of the Flatline Budget, where four years, it was me and the name Eric. Uh, <laughs> Eric Nelson was the finance chairman for the House side. Then Eric householder and then I've got Eric, or had Eric Householder and Eric Tarr. Uh, But by controlling our spending, and this is exactly what the federal government should do, they should actually control the spend and let the revenues grow. And when we did that, that afforded us the opportunity to be able to go in and do the tax reductions. I said that we'd have six, seven, eight hundred million dollars. We did. Actually we had 1.8 million dollars. The problem with that is, is that we were using severance tax. The severance tax made up almost a billion of those excess revenues. They're down this year. Right. The production is up, both coal and gas, but the prices are down. The most beautiful part about what we got going on right now is we're really not budgeting the severance tax. I can remember when I was first elected in 2003, where we were underwater, we were cutting in the middle of the year. And they were hoping somebody would win the record Powerball, and they did. But that's no way to run. That's no way to run a state, uh, run man. a government, run a state. We have changed those all those dynamics, and then you can see the people's wages are up, the job opportunities. In October, and that's the latest numbers that I have. There was six thousand one hundred and ninety-eight people that was drawing an unemployment check. That's a big deal. Out of one point eight million people, and you've only got six thousand. One hundred sixty two hundred. We'll use round numbers. Yeah, uh, I get caught up in trying to have precision numbers. Yeah, no, I understand. And there's a reason for that. You can't make good decisions on bad information. And that's another thing that I might have been about is making sure that we got the right data, the right information, and then be conservative on the decisions that you make.
0: That was Senate President Craig Blair speaking with Eric Douglas. Visit our website to hear the rest of that conversation and tune in nightly at 6 p.m. Monday through Friday for the Legislature Today. West Virginia Morning is a production of West Virginia Public Broadcasting, which is solely responsible for its content. You can keep up with the latest West Virginia news throughout the day on our website, wvpublic.org. Support for our news bureaus comes from Shepherd University. West Virginia Morning is produced with help from Bill Lynch, Brianna Heaney, Caroline McGregor, Chris Schultz, Curtis Tate, Emily Rice, Eric Douglas, Liz McCormick, and Randy Yoey. Eric Douglas is our news director, and he produced today's show. I'm your host, Teresa Wills. This is West Virginia Morning.